love that today we're getting a picture of discipleship as we worship together. Uh, we were led today by Maddie, who is the worship intern at Snellville, and Emily, who is the worship resident here in Marietta. Uh, and, and what you're seeing is a residency program, which is amazing across the Grace family. I think there's 28, is that right? You guys know the number? 28 uh, residents across the Grace family that are all being invested in and trained up to, to lead, uh, whether that's worship or missions or discipleship or students. Uh, all across the Grace family, leaders are being trained and discipled to actually do the work that God has planned for us, which is pretty exciting. I, I'm excited about that. I can't tell if you're excited because you all are wearing masks. Uh, I just want to acknowledge again, I've done this every time I've preached in the room of masks that's half full. This is weird. Uh, but I love you, and we're doing it, right? We're in the room, we're doing it, and it's good. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Ephesians chapter 4 as we wrap up our series today on we. We've been talking about who is the church, who are we called to be, what does Ephesians, what, do we, what can we learn from the church of Ephesus that connects to the church today? And uh, one of the weird things that's been going on right now is sports, how many of you are, are like big sports fans? Anybody? We got, a, we got a few sports fans. I was devastated. I didn't realize when, when all sports shut down, I didn't realize how much of a space that took in my life. Like when there was no sports on TV, anybody like me, like you were going through withdrawal, there was, it felt like something was wrong in the world. It felt like your source of life had been taken away from you. I, I, I had a mini crisis when there was no sports on TV at all. And so I've been really excited about the NBA playoffs. Basketball is my sport. Basketball is the thing that I love the most. I, I've coached basketball all through my life. Uh, I started coaching basketball when I was in college and have coached either high school teams or AAU basketball teams uh, ever since. It's a great source of ministry for me where I'm able to invest and disciple young men. And I also just love the game. I love being in the gym. I love watching it. I can watch any basketball game and enjoy it. I'm, I'm just that, I'm that nerdy. Anything that's on, I'm excited about it. And I'm always struck by the psychology of sports. I'm always struck by how there are certain teams, and, and the playoffs always reveal this every year. There are certain teams that just mesh together and learn how to play together and become a team and become united and something beautiful happens on that team where everybody on that team embraces their role, everybody works together, and suddenly the sum of the parts is greater than the individuals on the team and something remarkable happens. But there's also these other teams, and I don't know if you've seen this throughout your like, journey of sports or if this has ever been your team. Have you ever had a team that you're cheering for that on paper they look amazing? Like if you just look at their statistics, if you look at what they're able to bring to the table, if you look at the things that they have, if you look at all these parts, it looks like they're going to be incredible. But for some reason, they can't come together and make it work. I've coached those teams before where it feels like every part is really amazing, but it's hard to unify them. It's hard to bring them together. It's hard to get them excited. It's hard to get them to fulfill certain roles. And so even though on paper they look amazing, even though they look incredible, they're not able to do that. Uh, I've coached a lot of kids that went on to play Division I basketball. This year at the NBA draft in October, the first kid that I ever coached will get drafted in the NBA. I'm really, really excited about that. I'm hoping it's a big contract and I can get him to tithe. Uh, uh, he, he's, uh, it, it's, it's really exciting. He'll be the first kid that I ever coached, and he's being projected as a first-rounder right now. 
Uh, and, and I'm super excited about that, but the team that he played on, this kid was an amazing basketball player. He was surrounded by three or four other kids that went on to play Division I basketball. When they were freshmen in high school, I had them. They were bigger than everybody. Coming off the bus, we looked amazing, right? We walked into the gym, and everybody was like, ooh, I don't want to play those boys. You know, you know when your kids are little, like you're playing sixth grade, and there's like four kids that have mustaches? We were the team with mustaches, Right? We were the team that, like, we were the big kids and coming off the bus. But it, that team underachieved all year. We never won a single tournament. We would always go to the semifinals and we'd fall apart. They would start arguing with each other. They would start fighting with each other. Everybody wanted to shoot the shot at the end of the game. And for some reason, they just could not come together and be unified. Uh, in the church in Ephesus, Paul talks repeatedly about unifying the church. He understands as a coach that it's not just we need to gather a room full of people. It's not that we just have to get good people in certain places. It's not that we have to just hire good staff and set them free. It's that we actually have to have a unified body. And the challenge for the church in these days is not hiring the most talented staff people. It's not putting the most talented people up in front. It's not recruiting leaders from other churches and gathering together. The challenge for the church is how do we unify our church in a divided world? How do we unite around who we are and what we're doing and where we're going when all around us there is division and there is brokenness? How do we become united in the pursuit of God? And we've walked through lots of different pictures of the church in Ephesus. We started by talking about we are the ecclesia. We are the set apart, the chosen people of God. And so the first picture we held up for you is, is the idea of our chosenness. We are chosen. The second picture was a picture of the body. We are the body of Christ. The third was the picture of we are the workmanship. We are the masterpiece of God. The church is the workmanship of God, the masterpiece of God. We are the family. We are the temple. We are the bride. And this week, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and I want to talk about how we are united. And I'm, I'm not doing an Atlanta United thing. Um, like, I, I thought about I would yell Atlanta and you guys would yell United, but that would just, that would be weird. You don't understand that unless you're an United fan either. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, this is Paul, I therefore urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called by one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all in all. Now, we, we see he even, he even points back to the picture of the body, which we've already talked about. He talks about being humble, being gentle, being patient, bearing with one another. So there's these postures, there's these ways that we live that are in there. But at the end, he, he talks about the focus of unity is this idea of one. How do we become united? How do we become unified? Because unity is not uniformity. Unity does not mean that we all believe exactly the same thing. It doesn't mean that we all vote the same way. It doesn't mean that we all talk about things exactly the same way. It doesn't mean that we articulate things the same way. There are many different beliefs. There's many different um, representatives. There's many different cultures. There's lots represented in the church. So how do we unify? And what Paul says is the way that we unify is we go back to the one source. 
We go back to we serve one God. We return to the fact that there is one source of our unity, and that source of our unity is our Father in heaven. So uh, I, I, I got like a science experiment up here. Sometimes I, I like to play when I'm preaching. Um, and, and here's what I want to do. I'm going to fill this up with water. And here's what happens in a lot of different churches. Every Sunday morning, everybody gathers together, and everybody wants to get filled up. All right, everybody's saying, like, I need a word this week. I don't know about you guys, but during COVID, I, I've, I've needed a good word some weeks. I've kind of like, I've really needed the church on certain weeks. And so we come together, and we, we kind of have the same cup that we all drink out of. There's the same worship that we're participating in. There's the same sermon that we're hearing. There's the same prayers that we're praying. There's the same engagement that we all have on Sunday morning. And it would be as if I started passing this cup around, which would be really awkward during COVID. And each of us took a big sip of it and then passed it to the next person. That, you, guys, you guys are like, we're not doing that. We're wearing masks and sitting six feet apart. It's all right. We're not doing that today. Uh, we're not even doing communion the way we normally do communion. But this is what we do on Sundays. The problem with that is eventually this cup runs out. Right? The word that we've given can't sustain us. The worship that we experienced on Sunday doesn't get us through the whole week. It's as if we're trying to have an unlimited source be our source, right? So anytime we go to a restaurant, I don't know. I'm, I'm addicted to Coke Zero. Some of you know that. Uh, I, have a, I have a problem. Uh, Don Schaefer has the same problem, so we're united in that. Um, uh, the, the staff makes fun of me. Uh, my kids make fun of me. I, you guys drink your coffee, and I just take my caffeine cold. Uh, but I, I, I'm addicted to that, and, and so when I go to a restaurant, if I'm not paying attention, I will just keep going to the refill. Like, I will let the waitress just keep bringing me, and eventually my wife has to say, he's had enough, like, a, like I'm an alcoholic, right? That's enough for him today. He's had enough, but we treat the church sometimes as if it's this unlimited source that we can go back to over and over and over again, and the church is our hope, and the Sunday gathering is our hope, and I've just got to get a word, I've just got to get a worship, I've just got to have an experience, I've just got to have a mountaintop moment. Or what we do sometimes is we don't just treat the church like it's the source. Uh, as far as the church service, we start treating the church staff or each other as if we're the source. All right, so we start to act like, you know what, I, I, I just need to keep going back to the person that's discipling me. I just have to keep going back to my pastor. I just have to keep going back to my worship leader. I just have to keep going back to my small group leader or my house church leader. I just have to keep going back and getting from them. So every time I have a problem, every time I need prayed for, every time I, I, I'm struggling, I have to run to this certain person, and I've got this almost codependent discipling relationship with this person. Um, the problem with that, and I'll just, I'll just say that the problem with that for me is I am a really bad source. Because uh, I don't know about you guys, um, and this may be hard for you to believe as your pastor, but I, I'm really broken. And I've got lots of little things in my life that are not great about me. I've got lots of challenges that I face on my own. I've got <laughs> lots of problems I'm hoping you guys can see, I'm, I'm making a mess, but can you see this? If I'm the source, we're in a lot of trouble. I know Douglas really well. If Douglas is the source, we're in a lot of trouble, right? If, 
the church service, the church itself is the source, we've got a lot of problems. And so it feels like one of the things we have to talk about, that's just going to leak out, one of the things we have to talk about when we talk about the church is who is the source? Like, what is the source that we're, we're depending on? What are we running back to? What are we going back to? Because if the church service is the source, we're just going to drink it up every week and be empty. And we're going to have to come back again and get to the mountaintop again and experience something great again and bring in a great word again and have another great worship experience again. And we're going to drink it all up and then be thirsty in one day or two days or three days. And if the staff is the source or the pastor is the source or the programs are the source, I just want you to know our pastors aren't that good. Our staff is not that great. Our programs aren't that wonderful. All of those things are going to leak because we are terrible sources. This illustration would work best if I had a faucet or a hose right here, right? Because the truth is, we do have an unending source that says, I will keep overflowing you over and over and over and over again, and I have living water that never runs out. The source of the church is not the church. That's the challenge of being the church. The source of the church is not a building, it's not a staff, it's not leaders, it's not programs, it's not pastors, it's not people, it's not leaders, it's not the events that we do, it's not the trips that we take, it's not the teaching that we do. The source for the church is God. And so over and over again, the job of the church is to return people to the source. If we want unity, we've got to be connected to the source, not to each other. We started this whole series by talking about consumerism, individualism, and nationalism as the three things we're called to escape from this world. And if we are enraptured in consumerism, individualism, and nationalism, then we're so rooted in those things that we can't even see the church clearly because we just say to the church, give me what I need. Or we just say to the church, I need you to, to, to meet my family's needs. Or we just say to the church, I need you to align with my political party or my political beliefs or what my politician says. And suddenly we've gotten sideways from the source and we've made the source something else. What we do when we talk about the church is we talk about what we do before we talk about why we do it. Simon Sinek says this, he says, nobody cares about your what, they care about your why. So when we talk about the church, what we talk about is the cups that we use, right? Tell me about your church. Well, it's on Holt Road, right over by Wheeler High School. We do a lot of really cool things with Wheeler High School over there. We have a really good children's program. There's a lot of kids involved. There's a lot of young people involved. We, we do worship every Sunday, and it's really good. We've got a pastor who stands up and teaches. His name's Ben. His name's Douglas. We've got a leadership team. We've got trips that we take. We've got, and we name all of the what's. But very rarely when we talk about the church do we talk about the why. Uh, I, I used to serve in the third largest church in the United States. 35,000 people come to that church every single weekend. Uh, as I served there, I served there for 15 years on the leadership team of that church and when I resigned, the first Sunday I left, we started a house church. My kids were about seven and five at that time. And they had never experienced any other church except for the monster church, right? The 35,000 person church. So I'll never forget the very first Sunday, we, we went to church and it was a house church. 
We drove to our friend's house. We gathered in a living room with 10 other people. We prayed together. We sang together. Uh, I brought a message of some sort, and we talked, and we dialogued, and we got in the car, and my wife said to the kids, what did you think of church? And my kids said, that wasn't church. And my wife said, well, what is church? She said, well, in church, we get on a big bus because we have to park so far away from the building. There was no bus there. In church, there's this gym and this amazing playground that we play at every week, and there's a coffee shop that we go to every week, and mom, you get your coffee, and we get to play on the indoor playground, and there's the big slide that goes from the second floor to the first floor. Uh, that's church. And what we, had, what we realized in that moment was we've done a terrible job teaching our children what the church is. The church is not what the church is doing. It's not the playgrounds. It's not the coffee shops. It's not the slide. It's not the building. Um, my, my son at that time, my five-year-old, was terrified of those things. You know those things they put out in front of like car dealers that wave, right? They just blow air in it, and it's like a wavy person, and it bounces. It's, it's really um, a little cheap and weird, right? But they, they put them out in all these different places. Our church had those out front for some reason. I don't know. Why? I don't know how that church grew to 30,000 people with wavy, that's probably how they brought them in. They just had those wavy things out front. But my five-year-old was terrified of that. He hated that thing. And he was like, Daddy, this church didn't have a, a wavy thing, so I did like that more. He was like trying to give me affirmation of what he liked about this church. But here's the challenge for us. When the church is only what we do, we will never be unified because it will never be enough. There will always be more needs, more consumers, more individualism, more things that we need. Think about a family of five. I have a family of five. The, the pressure that's on the church to provide for a family of five is unlike any pressure for any organization in the history of the world. So we have a family of five. Here's what, here's what my expectations are for the church. I'm a worshiper. I love to worship. So every single Sunday, I expect there to be killer worship. I want the Holy Spirit moving and working, and I want to feel passionate, and I want to feel like there's passion in the room, and there's excitement, and there's joy, and I want to feel that little Holy Spirit tingly inside of me while I'm singing. I want to recognize that God is working. I want the Spirit of the living God to dwell on us while we worship. Uh, I also want friends. I'm, I'm, I'm social. And I want to connect with people that are my age. I want to connect with people that will watch a basketball game with me. I want to connect that people will hang out with me. I, I want to have relationships outside of the service. Uh, I, I want a small group that's really good, that studies the Bible together, that opens the word, that prays together, that cares for each other. I want somebody to know when my kids are sick or when they're hurting. I want them to know when I'm feeling upset or when I'm feeling frustrated. I want them to read all of my Facebook posts and respond to them. I, I want them to put hearts by things. I want them to call me when I'm not feeling well. I want them to bring me soup. I want them, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, my daughter's 11, so we need a preteen group that's really good, and she's a little difficult, so we need a preteen group that's really good, and we need a group of people People that are going to care for her and love her. And she's adopted, so we need an adoption group. If we could have a, a group of other adopted families to be around us, that would be really awesome because we have a passion for adoption. Does your church care about adoption? Because we really care about adoption. Adoption needs to be a part of the church. There needs to be adoption groups. We need to be giving to adoption groups. We need to be uh, helping people foster children. We need to be investing in the nations because my daughter's from Africa, and that's important to us that we invest in the nations. So we need to be doing missions trips to Africa and to around the world. We need to 
be paying attention to all of those things. We need to be investing in those things overseas. Um, my other sons are 16 and 18, so we really need a really good high school ministry. Um, my 16-year-old plays basketball, so could we have a basketball team that he could play on? My 18-year-old is getting ready for college. Could we do a class for him that trains him and prepares him on how to get ready for college? And oh, by the way, because he's going to be in college, is there a really good college ministry for him that we could have? Uh, my son also plays guitar. He played guitar this morning. So can he play in the band? Um, yes, I guess. Uh, can he do that? Uh, my wife is a woman, uh, and I'm really, I'm really thankful for that. And she wants a really good women's group, right? She wants a group of women that gather together and love each other and pray because women together have to pray differently than men together. And the men just don't understand what the women need. And so we need a really thriving women's group. And by the way, it'd be great for me to have a men's group that I could connect with because if the women are doing their thing over here, it would be really great if I could have a men's group that I could connect with and I could be a part of. And so we need a men's group. I like to eat breakfast. So maybe that men's group could eat breakfast together. Um, I don't like getting up too early, so it can't be at like 6. But if it could be at like 8 so that I can get to work by 9, that would be awesome. But I'm hoping that everything you're doing fits into my schedule. Um, I need someone older who will invest in me. I need somebody to disciple me. Is there, is there older people in your church who are spiritually mature who would be able to disciple me and, and pour into me? I love sports, so is there a sports ministry? Is there a way, is there a place where I can coach? Um, my wife loves to jog. Is there a jogging group? Do you realize that I could just keep going on this for hours and hours? And this is our expectation of the church. Our expectation of the church is that it be a cup that's big enough to hold everything that I need. And we get frustrated and discouraged when we sit in a church long enough to realize that the cup has holes in it. And so what do we do at that point? We go find a different cup. I'm just going to go find a different church. I'm going to go somewhere else. There's lots of other churches in town. I'm going to go find one of them, and I'm going to see if they have the cup that I need and if they have all the programs that I need. Um, what I just named when I named that is over 20 programs that were expected for one family. Is there another organization that you would ever imagine joining or being part of that you would expect to have 20 programs for you? Have any of you ever joined uh, a kid's basketball program and said to them, hey, do you also have a soccer program? Do you also have a Bible study? Do you also have... I, I, I know, I know you're coaching my 11-year-old in soccer right now, but do you have something for me? I'd really like to freshen up my dribbling skills or something. Like, I don't know. We, we have this strange expectation, and the real question that Paul gets to in Ephesus is who is the source? If the source is the amount of programs that you do, if the source is what you do, then, then you're always going to be found empty. And I think we have really good programs. And a lot of the things that we just named, we actually do those things. And we believe in those things. And those things are important to us. But the, the, the question is not, does, not what can the church give to me, but the question is what does God want from us? We are a specific community in a specific place called together by a specific purpose. There is a context, there is a calling, and there is a culture that is invited all of us to be a part of. And the question that we should ask is not what do we do, the question is why do we do it and who do we do it for? And so we go back and we ask God and not each other. 
We discern what the Lord is saying to us and what he's inviting us into. We discern what our neighborhood needs. What is the brokenness in our community that we can step into? What are the places that we need to invest in? Where are the places that we need to go? And we go to those places because we've discerned from the source what we're supposed to do, not because we've created programs to keep everybody happy. I'm going to break the news to you. We are not going to keep all of you happy if you are dependent on us building the right programs for you. It won't happen. At some point, the program is not going to fit in your schedule. At some point, the program is not going to be as good as you'd like it to be. At some point, the program is going to make a mistake. At some point, the program is going to be revealed to have holes in it. But the source will never let you down. The source will always overflow. The source will always give us what we need. The source will always be the place we go to. So the question that we ask is not what do we do, it's why do we do it. It's who is the source. And so for, in our culture, we talk about we learn to hear the whisper, which is we learn to listen and co-discern what God is saying to us before we fight over our preferences. So for us, we've spent the last few years praying and discerning. I got here three and a half years ago. And over those last three and a half years, what we've been doing is petitioning the source. What we've been doing is over and over again asking the Lord, who do you want us to be? Why are we gathering together? What do you want us to do? What are you inviting us to do together? What's the specific context, culture, and calling that you've given us? Because Ephesus has a very specific context, culture, and calling that they're called to live into in the same way that Marietta has a, has a specific context, calling, and culture that we're called to, in the same way that Snellville has a culture, context, and calling that they're called into. And the question for us is, what are those things? So we have been praying as a staff, as a board, we've been inviting leadership from the outside to help guide us and direct us in this. This has been a three-year process, um, and, and over that process, we've kind of come up with who we are, what we value, and where we're going, and I want to share that really quickly with you this morning. So this is our why. When the question becomes why, what, why does Grace Marietta exist? What are we doing? These are the things that I want us to talk about. These are the culture, the context, and the calling that we've been invited into. So first is, is our mission statement. Can we get that up on the, on the board there? Our mission is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. So it starts with this idea of awakening. We believe that God is awakening all hearts and all souls to his presence around them, to his glory around them, awakening us to the fact that he has called us, that we are not just people who sit in the pews and absorb programs. We are actually a called people that are awakened to the holiness of our everyday life. We are awakened to the presence of God in our everyday life. We are awakened to the fact that God is inviting all of us to be a holy priesthood, a holy nation, that every single one of us carries the DNA of Grace Marietta everywhere we go. So when I go to work and sit in my cubicle, I am awakened to the fact that I am called by God, I am part of a family, I am part of a calling, a context, and a culture, and I'm invited to be a missionary in the place that I work. When I go to a restaurant and I'm dealing with the waiter or waitress, I recognize that I am awakened to God's presence in that moment. There is no moment that isn't holy. There is no moment that I'm not awakened to. There's no moment where I don't recognize God is working and present and moving. 
Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 3 says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the love of Christ will shine upon you. We wake up, we waken from the dead, right? There's a way that we can live that's almost dead where we just go through the motions. We clock in every single day. We, we, we kind of read our Bible every single morning, and we're, we're dead. We're not awake to the glory of God, and so we awaken. But we not only awaken, we awaken each other. The awakening happens in community, the awakening happens as we urge each other on, as we sharpen each other like iron, as we love each other and serve each other. This is the type of community I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a community that's always calling out the best in me, that's always inviting me to live my best life, that's inviting me to be my best self, that's, that's, that's awakening me to what God is doing around me. So we awaken each other to live kingdom dreams. Uh, kingdom dreams, here's the question that people keep asking, what's a kingdom dream? We've been talking about awakening kingdom dreams for a long time. What is a kingdom dream? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says, for we are his workmanship. Remember, Douglas taught on this just a few weeks ago. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. That word works right there is the word ergos in the Greek. And when we read that, what we often think of when we read the word works is we think of like, what's the service project you've invited me to? What's the good deed you've asked me to live into this week? What's the one thing that I'm supposed to step into this week? The word works in the Greek means more like an ongoing work. It's more like employment. What's the employment? What's the career? What's the investment that I'm called to make over and over and over again. So when we talk about living out kingdom dreams, this is our belief. We believe that every single person that sits in the pews of Grace Marietta has been invited by the Father in heaven to depend on him as the source and to step out into ministry. And that ministry is your kingdom dream. And if your heart comes alive around adoption, stop coming to the church and asking them to start an adoption ministry. Start it yourself. We'll equip you and we'll walk beside you and we will help you live that kingdom dream. If your heart comes alive when you're ministering to preteen girls because that's just the thing that you're excited about and you're passionate about, then come beside us and, and we'll figure out how we can do that together. We'll equip you to do that. If coaching is your thing, sports is your thing, ministry is your thing, missions is your thing, worship is your thing, prayer is your thing, come together. Let's discern what the dream that God has placed in your heart is, and let's equip you and empower you and disciple you so that you can lead effectively in that area. We awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. Uh, I don't know that there's a better metaphor for Marietta, Georgia, than a world that's fast asleep. Everything in Marietta is fast. The first thing I learned when I moved here from Cincinnati is this culture is faster. Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's kids are involved in 85 different things, and they're driving their children to a million different places all at once. Everybody's driving downtown to get to their work. Everybody's stuck in traffic. Everybody's got to get there. Everybody's got to get over there. We got to get over to Perimeter. We got to get over to Alpharetta. We got to get over to this. We got to get over here. We got Everybody's trying to get over somewhere. We're all trying to get somewhere. We're all fast, but we're asleep while we're doing it. Nobody's alive in that process. It's like we're, we're, we're dying in, in, our, in, our, in our speed that we live life in. And we're so disconnected to the source that we're just clocking in 
and clocking out over and over and over again. That's our mission. We're going to spend a lot more time on that in the coming weeks. But here's our values. Our, our, if our mission is what are we doing? We are awakening the dreams of individuals inside our community because we believe we are better when all of us are working together for the good of the kingdom, not when there's a church staff that's working for it and everybody else is consuming. How do we do that? The values are how we do that. The first thing that we do is we hear the whisper. We listen to the voice of God. We discern together. We co-discern what God is saying and what he is inviting us to. So we're actively in this process of co-discerning what is God saying and what am I going to do about it? That's the discipleship question we ask over and over and over again. What is God saying to us? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? And how do we live into that? How do we walk in obedience? So there is this spirit-led presence that is a huge value to us. First uh, Kings chapter 19, remember uh, Elijah's on the mountain and there's, a, there's thunder and there's, there's noise and there's all these, there's an earthquake, there's, a, there's all these things that go by and suddenly hears God in the whisper. We want to become a community that learns to hear the whisper. We want to soak the altar, which means we want to live obediently to and in radical dependence on the source, a holy God. So we'll soak the altar, which means that when God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, we just soak the altar like Elijah did on Mount Carmel and say, all right, Lord, we trust that you're the one that's going to bring the fire. Our trust is not in us as the source. It's not in our programs as the source. It's not in our skills or abilities or capabilities. It's on a holy God. So we live with a holy expectation, which means when I walk into this room on a Sunday morning, I have a holy expectation that God is going to do something that something's going to happen, that God is going to take these words that I wrote earlier in the week, not knowing how they're going to work or what they're going to do or whether they're good or not, and I'm going to throw them out there as my offering, and I'm going to surrender them to a good father. I'm going to soak the altar with them, and I'm going to say, Lord, would you do something amazing in our midst? That's what we do with our gifts. We surrender them. We set them on the altar. We cover the altar with water, and we say, all right, Lord, bring the fire. And we, we, I want to be a part of a community that expects God to do something. I want to be a part of a community that has a passion and an expectation that God is moving and working and stirring and doing all things. The next thing is that we wreck the roof. I love this. It's this idea of we have a collective reimagination. There is an apostolic impulse. There's an entrepreneurial push. We are, at our essence, dreamers who are dreaming of a better place. I've been saying all throughout this series, I am in love with what the church could be. That's what keeps me here. That's why I'm still a pastor, even though I've gotten 8 million emails complaining over the last three months, right? It's because I'm in love with what the church could be. I'm in love with what we could become in Grace Marietta. I have these dreams, and I have this imagination. I have these hopes that we could be the people, like the, like the people who brought the paralytic to Jesus, who just tear the roof off. We'll do anything to get people to Jesus. It doesn't matter if that's not the way we've done it before. It doesn't matter if that's a new methodology. It doesn't matter if nobody's tried that before. It doesn't matter if that's not the way we do it here. We don't have those kinds of boxes that we put ourselves in. We believe in an overflowing source that has given us all the source that we can go to that has more imagination for who we can be and what we can be and why we can do it than anything in the world and we trust him and we say we're going to wreck the roof I'm, I'm, I'm wanting some more amens guys I know you got masks on I can't tell you're smiling but I this is this is important stuff like this is who we're going to be we want to collectively reimagine it the next thing we want to do is we want to pass the cloak and that's all about discipleship 
which means we're entrusting the next generation with the word of the Lord. We're passionate about the Bible. We're gonna preach from the Bible. We're gonna discern what God is saying. We're gonna discern what's the truth that God is giving us, and we're gonna believe in those who are next. And so for us, the next generation is so important. Like the evidence of our faithfulness. I don't know what a greater evidence of our faithfulness will be than the lives of our children, right? The evidence of whether I'm living out my faith and loving well and serving well and caring and modeling and discipling and doing all the things that I'm required to do by scripture more than I'm required to be a pastor, which is to be a father. The evidence of all of that is who my kids become. And we want to pass the cloak to the next generation, which means we're going to give leadership to leaders before they're ready. It means we're going to invest in young leaders and believe that the God dream that is in me that started when I was a kid is in them and it just needs stoked and it just needs gardened and it just needs loved and it just needs affirmed and it just needs somebody to equip and to care for. We want to become the community that is constantly saying to the next generation, you are not the church of tomorrow, you are the church of today. You don't have to wait to live out your mission when you graduate from college and when you get a job. Live out your mission now. Young people in the room, there's some of you in the room that are in elementary school or high school or junior high. Right now, you are on the greatest mission field that you will ever walk on. In your high schools, in your elementary school, in your middle schools, in your colleges, you are walking in a mission field where there are hundreds of people who need the love of Jesus, and we believe that you can take it to them. That's what passing the cloak is. And then the last thing is that we do it together. We demonstrate the love of God by embracing our diversity in unity. We embrace our diversity over and over and over again, and we're going to keep going back to we want to become a church that looks more like our community. And the way that we do that is we become a safe place. The way that we do that is we speak out against injustice We call a spade a spade, and we say racism has no place in the church. It is evil. It is not political. It should not be removed from government agencies. It is not evil. It is is evil and needs to be called evil. Sorry, I got to get this right. It is evil and needs to be called evil. And we need to be the church that stands in those places and says, not only are we going to stand for diversity, not only are we going to speak up for our brothers and sisters of color, not only are we going to do all of those things, but we are also going to do everything together, which means we are one. We're not just one in the spirit. We're not just one in unity around the vision and the mission and the values. We are one race. We are one people. We are brothers and sisters created by God and for him in his image. And how dare we belittle the pain of part of our community? How dare we refuse to listen to people in our community? How dare we politicize somebody else's pain? We will stand for injustice. We will speak truth. And we will do it together, which means not only are we going to stand for one another, it means we're going to have fun while we're doing it. It means that along the road, we're going to laugh. We're going to enjoy. We're going to do life together. We believe that the only way this dream of being a church that awakens kingdom dreams comes to life is if we're all playing. It can't ha- this is the beauty of the church. It can't happen by two or three of us doing this. It can't happen by a couple leaders gathering in and doing this. It's by all of us stepping in to the calling that God has given us. Uh, I was at a, uh, a conference not long ago. And at this conference, there was a Kenyan pastor that was up preaching. And I, 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 I've been to Kenya many times, lots of different missions trips. 
And so I was immediately attracted to him. I loved what he was saying. He just had this passion and this excitement. And he was talking about the hundreds of churches that he planted, hundreds of churches all over Kenya. And he shared this. Uh, he said this. He said, Jesus' mission was nothing short of restoring God's rule and reign over every aspect of creation and every aspect of our neighborhoods. So we have to become a people who listen to God and see where your neighborhood needs Jesus and we go there. That we become a church that gets outside the walls. Here's the thing about this vision and these values. All of these require us to leave the program mindset of provide my family with 85 different programs so that we can flourish. And all of them are dependent on us becoming alive, awake, aligned, and aware of where God is working and us moving outside the walls of the church and into the community. That's going to be our number one priority over the next three years, guys. There are a lot of things the church could focus on. There are a lot of things we could spend time investing in. The thing that we believe God has invited us into, the thing that's going to unify us and send us out is we are getting outside the walls. I'm telling you right now because it's going to be scary and it's going to be hard and you're going to feel pushed and there's going to be challenges and there's going to be moments where you're like, could we just get back to just like sitting in a room and you providing all the needs for me? Like, I like that better. We are going to get outside the walls. We're going to start dreaming big dreams. We're going to start wrecking roofs. We're going to start hearing whispers. We're going to start soaking the altars. We're going to start doing it together. All of these things are going to begin to happen in our midst. This is what the Kenyan pastor ended with. He said, leaders and pastors Right now, I need you to listen to me. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room. It's, it's hard to get a room full of pastors quiet to listen to another pastor, but everybody was cued in, and he said this. Our mission as church leaders is not to call people to live safe Christian lives. Don't make the mistake of challenging your people to live for something that's too small when God wants them to be dangerous agents of kingdom transformation. We get, we get to live into this beautiful dream that the Father's given us. And we may be not united in who we vote for. We may not be united in our favorite sports teams. We may not be united in the style of worship that we want to listen to. We may not be united in what we want to watch on TV or Wednesday or what we want to eat for breakfast this morning. We may not be united in a lot of different things, but we are united under the fact that there is one source, there is one God, there is one Father, and he is good and he is overflowing and he is the source that we're going to return to over and over and over again, trusting that he's going to give us everything that we need. And we are united in the fact that we are a people who are called to go. The church is the one organization that was not created for itself. We were created for this community. And I love those of you who have been with us from the beginning, but I just want to say we're not building a church for you. We're building a church for the neighborhood. We're creating a community for the people at Wheeler High School. We're creating a community for the people that live around us. We're creating safe places and we're building a place that is dependent on us getting outside the walls. Uh, my friend Tim Sorens wrote this amazing book that the leaders of our church are reading, and I want to end with this today. The church is called Everywhere You Look, Discovering the Church Right Where You Are. And he says this, and this has been sticking with me over and over again. He says this, If God's dream is for the church to function as a body, then each part has to work together for the flourishing of each place. And it has to connect across each place, and there has to be a vision worth belonging to. If we see the church as a splintered institution competing for the market share of attention once a week, 
then that's exactly what we will get. But we get to choose. We get to use our Bibles, our intellect, our shared desires of our hearts in discerning why the church exists and what is the purpose of the church. And this is no small matter. This is the primary question about religious affiliation, about choosing a team to cheer for as we do in sports. This is about the story we choose to orient our collective lives around. How we frame and understand what the church is will dramatically alter how we understand everything, the economy, our politics, and literally everything else in the world. That is, at least if we dare to believe that God is at work renewing and restoring everything, then we will be in far better shape if we dare to believe this to be true. And if we acknowledge that we have no idea how to actually get there, then if we give up on our vision and submit to his vision from the beginning. We've been praying for three years, and this moment for me feels a little bit like a holy moment. And I know there's not a lot of people in the room. I'm hoping more people are watching online. But this is where we're headed. This is where we're going, and this is what we're stepping into. Because we believe this is where God's invited us. And we want to invite you to co-discern with us. We want to invite you to listen to where the Lord is leading you, where he's leading us collectively. And I know some of those things are scary, and some of those things are hard, and some of those things are difficult, and some of those things are challenging. But we want to be a community that does it together and walks with you. So three questions to reflect on today. And for those of you at home, you can just spend some time reflecting on these three questions. I want to invite you to discuss these three questions among your family. Um, those of you in the room, you can, we're, we're going to just reflect on those and get quiet for a minute. You can write those down and save them to talk about at lunch today or later in the week. But here's the three questions I want us to reflect on this week. The first is, what's the kingdom dream that God is calling you to? Not just a work of service, not just a project, not just a little thing. What's the ongoing work? What's the employment in the kingdom that the Father is inviting you into? What's the kingdom dream that he's giving you? What are the ways you have been treating the church as if it's the source? What are the ways that you've been acting like it's just this cup that we pass around and it's insufficient? I feel like there's a generation of young people who are disoriented and frustrated with the church because we've taught them that the church is the source. And they're going to continue to be frustrated and they're going to continue to be disoriented and they're going to continue to walk away from the church in droves as long as we keep acknowledging that the programs we give are the greatest things and the teaching that we give and the worship that we give. We've got to get back together where we turn and say, Jesus is the source. The Holy Spirit moving and working among us is the source. And when we can invite them into that story, that's a story that's worth giving your life to. I don't want to give my life for a church I'll give my life to Jesus in a second. And the last one is, what does it look right now for you to live into the vision, values, and strategy of Grace Marietta? If this is your church home and this is your church family, then what does it look like for you to live into this and step into this? What does that mean for you right now? So as you came in, you got little communion cups. If you didn't receive one as you came in, there's some on all the tables in all the corners of the room, and we're just going to move into a time of reflection. And Emily's going to sing and kind of sing a prophetic word over us today about the dreams that we're dreaming, about the hopes that we've prepared. This is our, this is our way to just kind of surrender them and lay them at the altar. And I want to invite you to just go to the Father, to take the cup and to take the juice and to take the bread and remember Jesus, his love for us, 
his sacrifice for us, remember his goodness, and acknowledge him as the source that we go to today. And so, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, all throughout this room and every room that is listening online, every watch party that's happening, every family that is watching the end of the service, I pray right now that you would give us Holy Spirit power to discern these questions. And I pray that we would find answers from you that revolutionize the way that we live. I pray that you would speak so loudly and so clearly to our community that all of the distractions, all of the frustrations, all of the dividing lines that we have built up over the last few months would be destroyed in this moment and we would return to a place of unity in you where we trust that you are the source, that you are the source of our unity, that you are the source of our goodness, that you are the source of our ideas, that you are the source of our passion, that you are the source of where we go and where we live and how we live our lives every every single moment and every day. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir up our body right now with new imagination for your kingdom. And I pray that as long as these doors remain open, hundreds of years from now, Lord, as long as these doors remain open to Grace Marietta, we would never be a church that holds up anything as the source other than you. So we trust you, we love you, and we invite you to speak in your name.